0: It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football.
1: Today on the Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about the 2020 football season and a disappointing end for Bayheim's Army. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Jim Stick Schulte, and our guest today is Syracuse football legend, Brendan Carney. Brendan, thank you so much for coming back on the program.
2: Wes, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me, and I uh, always love catching up and uh, talking about Syracuse football.
1: Yeah, me too, and especially with you, Brendan, and I want to get you started on this one. It's been a wacky time over the last four months or so. What have you been up to during the COVID quarantine?
2: Yeah, w- wacky is, uh, is exactly right. Um, you know, look, Looking back, March, April, and May, all kind of you know blended together in the sense that uh, no one could, could really do anything other than stay inside. Um, we were on pretty strict lockdown here in Hoboken, New Jersey, so there wasn 't much I could actually do except you know to sneak out for an occasional run or or walk um I really couldn 't tell the difference between days during that stretch uh so I took it one day at a time, tried to stay as positive as I could. you know a lot of people in this country um had it had it pretty bad, so it was frustrating as it got at times for me you know, I tried to keep things in perspective um you know, I'd love to say I took on new hobbies, but uh, fortunately, um, for me, work kept me pretty busy, uh, which is also, you know, a nice distraction from what was happening, out, um, you know, out in the world. Um, outside of that, uh, stayed close to family and friends through uh, through Zoom calls and FaceTimes. Uh, you know, read a few books, watched everything on Netflix twice, um, you know, created a, <laughs> some fun chip and putt, yeah, created some fun chip and putt scenarios in my apartment and, uh, and kind of enjoyed Uh, you know, how how things kind of slowed down there for a bit, actually. Um, But now that, you know, places have slowly started to open up here in the northeast, uh, I've been getting out and trying to, you know, enjoy summer, you know, as much as I can.
1: We're so glad you're safe and healthy. And let's talk some Syracuse football now. The last time we spoke, we talked a lot about Sterling Hoffrichter. He's now a rookie with the Atlanta Falcons. You obviously had a great Syracuse career. You were a three time All Biggie selection at punter. You went through training camp with the Baltimore Ravens. As someone who's gone through it, describe the experience that Sterling is in for.
2: Yeah, very happy for Sterling um, and his family that he was drafted by, by Atlanta. You know, to have that commitment from team is a team is a proud and a special moment uh, for him. Um, you know, you could tell early on in his career at Syracuse, he had the potential to, uh, you know, to get to the next level, um, if he was willing to put in the, the time and the effort and, um, you know, year after year, you know, we witnessed his growth, um, you know, that is now put on, you know, on an elite level, you know, in the NFL. Um, you know, funny enough, he kind of reminds me a lot of Sam Cook, who I competed against in Baltimore, um, and is now actually entering his, uh, his 15th season in the NFL, all with the Ravens, um. You know, they aren't your typical tall, lengthy punters. You know, they're smaller and, and stockier guys, but have, uh, you know, very sound mechanics that allow them to generate a lot of power uh, with, a, you know, a shorter swing and, uh, and very accurate with, um, you know, where they want to place the ball. Um, you know, one thing Sterling, you know, will learn when, when camp opens is, you know, the NFL is a business. The mindset is completely different than college a lot of his teammates will have five, eight, ten years of experience across multiple teams, and, and they're all fighting for, for one job. Um, you know, those jobs pay their bills. They put food on the table for their families and afford them nice lifestyles. Uh, I Actually, I roomed with Matt Stover uh, when I was in Baltimore in camp, and, uh, you know, he was on his 17th year in the league, and he always said, you know, you can like the guy you're competing against, you know, but keep the emotions to the side, you know act like it's your job and don't let anyone take it from you. Um, So that's definitely something I would, I would pass on to Sterling. Um, You know, he's going to see guys come in and out of the locker rooms throughout, you know, camp, you know, those guys are are cut, you know, or signed. So there's definitely an emotional side of this business uh, that he'll see within the first few weeks. Um, I think that's what kind of made it feel, you know, real to me. Um, and kind of differentiated it from college football. Um, you know, seeing a locker next to you cleaned out is, is, is a humbling feeling. Um, you know, if you're not getting the job done, they're going to find somebody else. So the mindset, you know, that he needs to have is to fight for his job every single day. Um, you know, he's also going to have competition uh, with, a you know, proven veteran in, in Ryan Allen. I'm not sure if Sterling ever had competition at Syracuse. So so going up against a guy who's punted in big games isn't going to be easy. Um So if he has a bad day, he needs to have a short memory and move on. And finally, you know, the faster, you know, he can adjust to the NFL lifestyle, the better his chances, you know, will be to win the job and and have a long, successful career. And um, and I believe, you know, he's the type of person that, that can accomplish that.
1: On the opposite side of that timeline is incoming freshman James Williams. He was the number two punter in the 2020 class, according to Rivals.com. He's looking at continuing that great tradition of Syracuse punters. That includes Riley Dixon, Hoffrichter, and of course you. What advice would you give him as he begins his college career?
2: Yeah, so I was able to see some of his film, and, um, and he's definitely a talented punter. Uh, he certainly has some big shoes to fill, uh, but I think we've put ourselves... In a good position, having James for the next four to five years, Um, you know, as far as advice, I tell him to, you know, just to work his tail off in camp and earn the trust and respect of his teammates, Um, you know, work hard and and show them that they made the right decision by picking him. Um, You know, he will likely, you know, compete for the starting job. So getting live reps in camp will be crucial to his adjustment in college football. Um, the game's going to look a lot faster to him, so those reps early on in camp will be extremely important for him. Um, you know, then it's also about having fun and enjoying the process. You know, I remember very clearly my first and last day at Syracuse, and, and those years go by really fast, so it's important, you know, that he, you know, he enjoys them, embraces them, and, and has, has fun along the way.
1: Brendan, when we were talking around this time last year, we were talking about Syracuse as a top 25 team, maybe even challenging Clemson for the ACC title. That obviously didn't happen. I, in particular, was wrong on that. What do you think was the biggest reason for the struggles last year compared to the expectations?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of hype going into, you know, into 2019 coming off of uh, that big ball win and that great season. Um, So it was definitely disappointing, you know, as as a fan to, you know, to see the outcome uh, of last year. But uh, I think it was a combination of penalties, you know, pre-snap, post-snap, the inconsistent play of the offensive line, and um, giving up big plays on defense. Uh, It's hard to play consistent football when all three of these things are happening at the same time, week after week. Uh, I think we finished the season in the bottom five for most penalties committed, and also finishing the bottom five for um, giving up the most sacks. Uh, it's hard to win games when, you know, that's taking place. And if the offensive line isn't clicking, you know, the, you know, the whole thing really breaks down. You know, you can't establish the run game. You can't establish the passing game. Uh, the frustration sets in, and, you know, you start to see things really break down. Um, and that was the same situation going into 2019 with the offensive line. Uh, There's a lot of questions around, you know, how they were gonna perform, um, if they had enough experience there. Uh so, you know, they have a big task ahead of them, um, you know, to get all that straightened out this year. And um, you know, I, I think, you know, we have some senior leaders on that line that uh that'll be able to uh, help get that worked out. On the other side of the ball I actually thought, you know, there were times where we looked, you know, really good on defense. Um, you know, but then we would give up these big explosive plays and it would completely you know, take the wind out of our sails. know, um, it doesn't help, you know, those guys when our offense is, is constantly going three and out, you know, multiple times in a row, you know, not giving our guys enough time to, to rest and recover, uh, you know, before the next series. Um, but kind of limiting those X plays and those big explosive plays for, for touchdowns is going to be key for those guys to fix this year. Um, if they can fix, <clears throat> if they can focus on correcting those parts of the game, I think we're going to see a completely different team and, um, they're going to be competitive in a lot more games with a good chance of uh, you know coming out with good quality wins.
1: Yeah, let's continue on that last line of thought you had, and we'll get you out of here on this one. Obviously, a lot of variables on scheduling and whether fall sports will even be played in the ACC, but let's just assume for a moment that everything goes off as planned in the 2020 season. Do you see Syracuse recovering this year and making it to a bowl game?
2: Yeah, so like you said, a lot of uncertainty as to you know, what the season will look like or, or... You know, we'll even have one um, in the fall or, or maybe in the spring. But, to, you know, to answer your question, I, I believe, you know, we can recover and get to a ball game this season. Uh, you know, w- w- with that said, I I think we have some challenges ahead of us. Uh, you know, the two biggest challenges that I see are that we have a new offensive coordinator in Sterling Gilbert and a new uh, defensive coordinator in Tony White. Um and these guys weren't given the opportunity to coach, you know, coach these players up during spring ball because of COVID and, you know, it, had to, it was canceled. Um, coach White's bringing in a, you know, brand new 335 system, which, you know, I think in the long run will be a great system for the school and, and will help, you know, attract top tier talent. But, you know, he, he's the reality of the situation is he's the only coach on staff who actually has coached it in the past. Uh, so not only does he, you know, have to teach it to the players, but he's got to teach it to the other coaches as well. Um, you know, so COVID aside, you know, we have an uphill battle ahead of us here. Um, you know, I think a bright side to 2020 is we have a clean slate, you know, with an opportunity to have a good season and, and make it to a bowl game, you know, but we need some of these young guys to step up and be ready to play this year. There's, um, you know, there has to be a good balance between our starters and their backups and these guys, uh, you know, collectively as a team, you know, need to play better disciplined football, um, If they can do that, I I believe our schedule is favorable favorable enough uh, to put us in a position to finish near the top of the Atlantic division in the ACC and and, and definitely make it to a a bowl game. And, you know, everybody, you know, all the fans are are cheering for them and, uh, you know, we're behind them and we want them to to do well.
1: Brendan, thank you so much for coming back on the program. Again, three-time All-Big East punter and Syracuse legend Brendan Carney. Brendan, thanks so much for coming on the program. Great to speak with you. Take care and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Wes. Go Orange. Great stuff from our friend, Brendan Carney. And I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online senior columnist and my very good friend, Jim Stickshulte. Jim, how are you today?
3: Doing well, Wes. How are
2: you?
1: Jim, I'm doing well. And let's start with Bayheim's Army. They were eliminated in the Elite Eight by sideline cancer in the TBT by a score of 65-48. to Woof. It was a disappointing end to what should have been at least a Final Four appearance. What went wrong?
3: They couldn't score. I mean, it's... It sounds so basic, just to, and, and it sounds almost cruel to just to reduce to that, but they couldn't score. Bayheim's Army, out of the 23 teams that played in the tournament, finished 22nd in points per game with 62. And the only player who provided consistent offense was Eric Dievendorf. He was the only player to reach double figures in scoring in both games, averaging 17 a game, and he shot 50% from the field in those two games, uh, 15 of 30. And, I mean, fortunately, he led the team in field goal attempts uh, in both games because you know how he was able to get them some offense. And behind that seventeen points per game, Dante Green was next at twelve points a game and Malachi Richardson was not with nine. But getting back to even efficiency shooting fifty percent from the field, I mean most of the rest of the guys, their lines from the two games just look well like a graveyard for missed shots. John Gillen went six and ten, six of ten in the two games and after that it's it's ugly. Andrew White the third, thirty five percent and two of nine from per, from three. Brandon Trish, 25%, 1 of 6 from 3. Beatrice Nichols, 0 of 6, including 0 of 5 from 3. Dante Green, who had 12 points a game, only shot 28% from the floor and 1 of 13 from 3. Malachi Richardson, who averaged 9 a game, 25% shooting and 2 of 7 from 3. So collectively, they were just awful. They shot 35.3% from the floor, and that was 22nd or next to last. They were 16.7% from 3, and that was 22nd or next to last. You know, I think propping up their scoring was the fact that they were third in free throw percentage at, at over 82%. And that most of that came from going 20 to 32 in that first game. Um, I mean, also, I know a lot of people talked about the rebounding being a problem. And to be fair, yeah, it is an issue. But I, don't, I think the concerns about that are overblown to a degree. Because when you go with an entire quarter against sideline, counter, sideline cancer excuse me, without making a shot from your field, your opponent's going to get rebounds. And, you know, Army, Beheim's Army, because they played at zone, it's just like Syracuse. The game slowed down. You get a lot of, of possessions where the shot clock goes down. Well, Army finished 20th in rebounds per game total in the tournament. And the Golden Eagles, who won the tournament, were 18th, averaging a whole one-half a rebound more per game.
1: So that closes the book on Beheim's Army in 2020. Let's look at 2021 now. What does Beheim's Army need in terms of personnel and possibly scheme change? Not so much on defense, because we know they'll always play zone, but maybe scheme change on offense. So be Dr. Stick Schulte for a moment. Tell us what prescription you'd give Beheim's Army next year.
3: Well, since you mentioned the zone and that they're going to play it, that's number one. They still have to play it and don't get away from it. I know you talk about changing up the defense and doing some different stuff, but here's the thing about playing the, the zone. When you look at the numbers on defense, it looks a lot like a pretty good Syracuse defensive team. The Army was third in steals per game in the tournament, and they forced 33 turnovers in their two games. And opponents shot under 39% overall and 18.6% for three. Now, the big other line story was how terrible behinds Army shot, and they were at 35% from the field and 60.7% of threes. Their opponents were barely better, so the zone stays. But as far as personnel, uh, I've been saying this for a couple of years now, and every time they they roll out the balls in the TBT, it uh, it proves true again. Um, since the basketball tournament is comprised of teams who are basically thrown together for a very short time, the games are end up being played out more like an all-star game as opposed to a more traditional game where you have much more strategy and the guys are familiar with each other and you have an offensive system and that sort of thing. But since that's not the case, these all-star game formats, are the games are won by dynamic, ball-dominant guards who can run the show. And by that, I mean guards who can drive to the rim and then also make threes consistently. Those are the players that lead the team to success. So if you're looking for Syracuse guys who you know would be an easy fit for Bayhunt Army, you need Eric Dievendorf to come back. because I mean, we, win it we already, I already talked about how important he was to the offense. I think they said in the first Bayhunt Army game, he's the fourth-leading scorer in TBT history. And it's not because he's playing as many games as some of the guys on teams like overseas elite who make it to the championship game. But a couple of the guys, or at least the style of players, because I don't know if either one of them would even be interested in coming, would be guys like Andy Routens or Dion Waiters. Even Dorf's ability to drive and finish with either hand, <clears throat> plus a good enough outside shot that defenders have to respect him and can't just play him the drive is what makes him successful. Uh, Andy Routens, still an excellent shooter, unsurprising, I'm sure. But I actually dug up some overseas basketball stats on him In his last eight seasons, he's had two years in which he shot under 39% from three regardless of the league he played in, whether it was in Turkey or in the NBA D-League or wherever. In addition to his shooting, he's a very good ball handler and passer, as we know from his days at SU. And Deion Waiters, of course, he's the type of of combo guard who could power any team in the TBT. Good handle, strong driver, great at finishing, good enough outside shot. Of course, uh, Deion, depending on what happens, uh, you know, with his NBA career, he may not be interested even if he's not playing in the NBA next year because he just doesn't need you. I know a lot of people talk about the rebounding again, and a lot was made about the height of Isaac Haas in the game against he because he's seven foot three. Here's the thing: Haas was six on their team in field goal attempts in that game, and three guys who got more shots, three of those five guys who had more shots than him were guards, including uh, the leader who had 17 field goal attempts. Haas only had eight. And when Sideline Cancer defeated Behan's Army. They had three players, all guards, who combined for 72% of their points
1: and two-thirds of their field goal attempts. Jim, we're right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts?
3: Well, TBT, they actually just pulled off almost a full tournament. I think, obviously, they were going to have 24 teams instead of 23. And they did it in a COVID world, but they were in a bubble. And as changes are coming with Syracuse's football schedule, I'm talking about going to a conference-only schedule, there's eight teams that they have games scheduled for for conference play. But not only are those teams not in the bubble, they're in seven different states, and most of them still have rising positive coronavirus test rates. Clemson reported a total of 37 cases associated with their football program a couple weeks ago. And Florida State, who's also on the schedule, is located in Florida, which I've heard has a problem with the coronavirus. So to turn serious, though, what's acceptable? Is it acceptable if a player gets sick? Is there a cutoff number playing, getting players getting sick that's acceptable? Three players? Six players? Ten? I mean, after all, it's simply impossible to play football in a way to prevent a communicable ball, communicable virus from being spread. 50, 60, 70, maybe even 80 times, an offensive lineman from Syracuse will line up six inches, not six feet, from a defensive lineman from another school. And then the two will slam into each other, breathing and grunting in a literal in-your-face physical matchup. And just thinking about that, do you think it's a good idea for a Syracuse player to line up against a player from Florida State over and over? or any two players, regardless of school, to do that? But it also goes beyond the players. What if a coach contracts a virus from being at a game? Or a member of the administrative staff who travels with a team? And then it gets passed on to someone else, like someone from the support staff, maybe someone in maintenance or food services on campus or the like. And what if that person gets sick, or even worse, passes away? Is the life of, say, an equipment manager a fair trade so you can knock back on a Saturday afternoon with a couple beers and watch football? And what if it is a football player? Will that player be remembered as a hero like so many others who have died from coronavirus? Or will it be a much more truthful memory or is a person unpaid for his work so an academic institution could keep millions of dollars coming in? Remember, college athletes get treated like kids when that's convenient and treated like adults when that's convenient. Academic institutions, just like the rest of us, need to make sure they remember that college athletes are people, not expendable assets.
1: Jim, my closing thoughts are on Legal and Nazarian, who is a nominee for the 2020 NCA Woman of the Year Award, recognizing female student-athletes who have distinguished themselves in academics, athletics, and service leadership. Nazarian was part of a Syracuse defense that allowed just seven goals per game in 2020, a major contributor to the Syracuse Boys and Girls Club, and a lead peer mentor for the Maxwell School. She will return to Syracuse for the 2021 season because of the extra year of NCAA eligibility created by COVID. Congratulations to her on such a big achievement. That's it for us. For Jim Schulte, this is Wes Chang reminding you that martial arts are a lot more common than martial crafts. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time.
0: This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network. Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to hundred dollars. Just visit PrizePicks.com/slash/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at pricepicks.com slash play 100 for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Prize Picks daily fantasy sports made easy.